I do not like green eggs and ham. <laughs> oh, no, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> I do not like them, Sam, I am. I do not like them on a boat. I do not like them with a goat. I do not like them on a train. That's, that's the next generation of buyers right there. That's right there. <laughs> I do not like them on a train. I do not like them uh, in the dark or in the rain. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. <clears throat> I'll tell you what else I do not like. Calling good things bad and wrong things right. They've come and tried to destroy our structure, barging in with cancel culture. You know what else makes me see red? Attacking Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> or Speedy Gonzalez or Pepe Le Pew and the Benjamin, or I'm sorry, the Bernstein Bears, to name a few. You can't say that and you can't say this. Well, I've had enough and I've made a list Cancel culture has crossed the line, and I believe that it's past time for the body of Christ to take a stand joined in unity all over the land. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Cancel culture, I disagree that we can't say words like he or she. The Bible for me settled this issue, and if this makes you mad, then grab a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> Male or female, God created them, and who are we to challenge him? Amen. He came to earth as a babe in a manger. To this kind of love, we were all strangers. See, Jesus came to save the lost, and he died upon that old rugged cross, laid in that tomb for three whole days, defeating his foes, death, hell, and the grave. He arose with all power, dominion, and might. With the stone rolled away, he finished that fight. We can fight too. The church must stand up. We've been silent too long and have had enough. The church at one time has abandoned her post, losing her freedom and the things we love most. This is the time when we take it all back, when we all stand up and get back on track. I started this poem with green eggs and ham, but it's really about the great I am. I am so thankful. Amen. <clears throat> so grateful for the many who shared that with me, and I thought I just have to start the sermon uh, this week with that. Um, I also appreciate, uh, appreciative of the person who sent me this Los Angeles Times op-ed entitled, Why America's Record Godlessness is Good News for the Nation. The opening caption, and this is, by the way, this was written April 2nd of this year, is entitled, The Secularization of U.S. Society. The waning of religious faith, practice, and affiliation is continuing at a dramatic and historically unprecedented pace. While many may consider such a development a cause for concern, such a worry is not warranted. This increasing godlessness in America is actually a good thing to be welcomed and embraced. <clears throat> Democratic societies that have experienced the greatest degree of secularization are amongst the healthiest, wealthiest, and safest in the world, enjoying relatively low rates of violent crime and high degrees of well-being and happiness. Clearly, a rapid loss of religion does not result in societal ruin. I mean, what planet does this person live on? Are they not awake? At, I mean, how's it going for America? Okay, I can't go there. In 1976, 1976, got that in your head? Can you remember that far back? Nearly 40% of Americans said that they believed that the Bible was the actual word of God and to be taken literally. Today, only about a quarter of Americans believe that, with slightly more 
decreeing the Bible is simply a collection of fables, history, and morality tales written by men. And they close with the organic secularization, which is, it's not organic, by the way. The organic secularization we are experiencing in the United States is a progressive force for good, one that is associated with improved human rights, more protections for planet Earth, and an increased sociocultural propensity to make this life as fair and just as we can in the here and now, rather than in a heavenly reward that fewer and fewer of us believe in. If ever there was a time we needed our spiritual leaders to lead in the world, it is now. Everybody knows that there is a huge need for good leadership, right? I mean, everybody realizes that there are fewer leaders than are needed and that there are fewer faithful leaders than are expected. Our leadership crisis in our nation is literally eroding our foundational heritage. I think you would all agree with that. If you're, if you're listening at all and if you're watching the news at all, you will see that at a very rapid pace like I have never seen. And if left unchecked, it will fundamentally destroy our moral and national stability. We have a crisis, we have a leadership crisis in America. We have a leadership crisis worldwide. But hear me now, okay, because we're not, this is not a political speech that I'm about to deliver to you. Um, All of that leadership crisis is a very small matter when compared to a leadership crisis in the church. Heaven forbid that we enter into a leadership crisis in the church. Anybody want to agree with me? Okay, good. I just didn't know if I totally lost you there somewhere in green eggs and ham. You know, we're in 1 Thessalonians. You can go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And we're talking about hope. The whole book is about hope. And we're using this working definition for hope. It is our confident expectation, say it with me, of better, come on, say it with me, of better days ahead. We have a confident expectation that there are better days coming. That's our hope. And we have our hope in the soon return of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to focus on the hope for faithful, healthy, spiritual leaders. That's what we're going to focus on today out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You've heard it said, right? As goes the leader, so goes the people. Ever heard that before? Or as goes the king, so goes the nation. I came across this by Dr. Michael Youssef uh, this week. He says this, as goes the pulpit, so goes the pew. As goes the pew, so goes the nation. Um. I know you would agree with me that the secret of success and progress in any organization rests on the shoulders and on the back of the leader, right? In fact, John Maxwell writes about this. He says, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. I love that. And we all know this to be true. But that right there that you just read about John Maxwell is what makes leadership so hard. And leadership is a hard thing. It's a heavy responsibility. You know, when Notre Dame football, when the team doesn't win, what do they do? Do they, like, fire the team? <laughs> they look like, you guys stink. We're going to go get a whole bunch of new kids to play football. Is that what they do? No. <laughs> they fire the coaching staff. They go after the coaching staff and say, the reason they're not performing is because you guys aren't performing. Because leadership, the success of any organization rests on the shoulders of its leadership. I would say this, because we're going to work on this later on. The success of a home 
rests on the shoulders of the men in the home. That's not a popular thing to say these days. One person wrote this, if our enterprise fails to perform, we rightly hire not new workers, but a new president. I mean, everybody recognizes the tremendous need for capable, enthusiastic, inspiring influencers at the top of any organization, which is the primary role of leadership, is to inspire influence over the people that you're leading. Now, the New Testament, and we're gonna work on this today, tells us to follow those who are in authority over us in the faith. We're supposed to actually pattern our lives after them. Remember last week we were, Paul was congratulating the Thessalonian church for imitating their leadership. They're the ones who brought them the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. He was congratulating them on this is what we're supposed to be doing. And the expectation is that we're all supposed to be following and patterning our lives after those that are over us in the faith. The question is, is that a safe thing to do? How many of you, don't raise your hand. How many of you have been burned by somebody in authority over you, especially a spiritual leader over you? Or have been hurt deeply by the things that they have said or the insensitivity that they have had. I'll just say this. The the answer to the question, is it a safe thing to do, is yes, if the leader is a faithful, healthy leader. And the sermon today is how to identify a faithful, healthy leader. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about how to identify a faithful, healthy church. Well, today, how do you identify a faithful, healthy leader? Now, normally my sermons are uncomfortable for you, and I'm okay with that. (laughs) Today, it's going to be uncomfortable for me. Are you okay with that? Okay, because we're going to actually put on display, we're going to actually do a public review of my job. I'm not sure I'm all right with that. So what I want to do is I'm going to read the text. Um, we don't normally do it this way, but I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and then, I'm go- then we're going to jump into the text and, and pick it apart, okay? So let me read, and I'm reading from the ESV as we go down through this. 1 Thessalonians 2. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so dear to us. Jump down to verse 11. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now we're gonna get into your outline here in just a minute, but um, before we do and jump into the text, I wanna show you a job description that comes straight out of the scriptures. You can find all of these points of the job description in the scripture for a pastor, a person who is called to be a pastor or an elder in the church, called to lead and shepherd the church of Jesus Christ, which is called the flock of God, okay? We, those of us who are called to that, are responsible to model spiritual virtue 
and live before the people that we want them to become and that we preach that they would become and desire them to become. We are responsible to unapologetically and boldly preach the gospel to the unbelieving sinner. We are responsible to encourage and gather the congregation of believers to worship. We are responsible to teach the family of God the whole word of God, or the scripture calls it the whole counsel of God. I was just reading in my private devotions this morning out of Ezekiel, and how God is is just condemning the false prophets who come around, go around his people, preaching what they want to tell them. And he was saying, woe to you who go to my people and tell them what you think. You better be telling them what I think. You better be telling them what I want them to hear. And so we are responsible to teach the family the word of God. We are responsible to oversee and govern the life of the church. We are responsible to identify, train, equip, and appoint teachers and workers to do the work of the ministry. And we are responsible to be the spiritual physicians who surgically attack the infections and cancers that invade the body of Christ. We're also responsible to be the tender shepherds who tend and care for the needs of the flock of God. And we're responsible to be the champions and defenders of the truth. And in all of this, we must give an account to Jesus Christ for the health and holiness of his bride. Someday I will stand before the Lord and he will ask me about the health of this body. And he will hold me account for the way that I led you during the time that I was called to this responsibility. Okay, all, in, all who wants this job, stand up. <laughs> I mean, who is qualified to do this job? Anybody want to volunteer? I was talking to a buddy of mine about entering into an elder position. And the thing that is most important in all of that is that we considered is you better be called before you jump into it. Who can effectively carry out this immense responsibility under such a high degree of accountability before Jesus himself. I mean, with all of my weaknesses and all of my character flaws and all of my shortcomings, how can I ever succeed? And yet this is what guys like me, men who have been called to lead the flock of God, these spiritual leaders, that's what they're called to. And, and this is what we're ordained to do. And This is what we've been set apart to and placed into when we step into this role of leading the church spiritually. It scares us to death. We we constantly live in fear of failure. I texted out to about 15 of my pastor friends this morning, early this morning, and just told them what I was preaching on. And I said, guys, I'm praying for you. And you should see what they're writing back. I'm not worthy. I can't do this. I'm scared. I mean, they're just like, this is how we all feel this pressure and we all feel this weight, this, this, this threat of danger every time we stand before you and try to lead a group of God's people. That we're somehow going to fail in all of this. And you need to know that. I just need to let you know that. When you hear me pause sometimes, you hear me, you know, you're like, some of you are like challenging me on that, you know, like, I know you want to apologize. It's not really that as much as it is I'm just checking myself because first of all, when that happens, it's I'm going off script, like I'm off script right now, and so I have to like check myself as to what I say because I haven't thought through it, and when I don't think through what I'm going to say, sometimes I really go to a place that I should not go. And so this is, this is what happens to me. So when I pause, I, I'm pausing because I'm like, Lord, and I'm actually asking the Lord in real time, is this from you or is this filled wanting to put insert himself here? Because I don't want to do that. If this is not from you, I know that it's not going to 
amount to anything. And we live in that tension, those of us who are called to lead God's church. And Paul was the same way. Paul, who's writing this to us, Paul was like, you know, you guys know I'm the biggest of all sinners, right? You guys know that I'm not worthy of this. He's the one who penned 1 Corinthians 1.20 about how God delights in calling the simple to ministry and the base things and the things that are not and the despised things in order to nullify the things that think that they are. This is what he calls to the ministry and he's lumping himself right into the middle of that. And so it, it encourages me that I can learn from Paul because he's just like us. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at how to identify a faithful, healthy leader. Paul's going to help us with this as he writes to the Thessalonians. So if you're ready with your notes, we're gonna jump right in with faithful spiritual leaders. Truth number one, preach the truth no matter what. And that's the key to this. Faithful spiritual leaders will preach the truth no matter what. So hopefully you've got your Bible open. And we're gonna look at this in verse one, that faithful spiritual leaders will preach the truth even in the face of criticism. Look at verse one. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not in vain. What he wanted them to understand and remind them of that our time with you wasn't a failure. It wasn't a big, fat, empty waste of time. Now, why would Paul say this? Well, everyone who writes on this believes that it's evident that people are lying about him and they were lying about Silas and Timothy and trying to discredit the work that they did among them while they were in their midst. And someone, someone we don't know who, was attacking and criticizing their sincerity and their integrity as they were ministering to these people in the church. So, which, by the way, you do know that that happens, right? There are people that want to, behind the backs of your spiritual leaders, try to discredit them and try to criticize them. It's, it's, it's a horrible thing. It, it, it actually is one of the things that God hates because God hates people who stir up dissension among the brothers. He hates it when they do that. And Jesus wants for his church unity, and you can't have unity if people are getting behind the backs of the leadership and criticizing them and trying to discredit them. Here's another thing. I'm totally off script, okay, right now, but here's another thing. The only thing a pastor has, can I just tell you, the only thing that I have is my integrity and, my, and the trust that you have in me. And if that's broken, then I have no platform to speak into your life. I've lost it. You're not gonna listen to me. If you can't trust me and you don't think I'm a man of God and you think there's some kind of massive spiritual flaw happening in my life that I'm not taking care of and that's what people are telling you, you will have a real hard time listening to me on a Sunday morning. And you should, by the way, if it's true. But that's what was going on here. They were doing whatever they could to tear down the confidence that these baby Christians, by the way, how horrible is that, that these baby Christians had in their spiritual fathers, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And Paul is saying, you guys know, you guys know, no matter what they're telling you and what they're saying about us, that our time with you produced fruit. I mean, we just spent two weeks working on the fruit that we saw in chapter one, celebrating the success of their faithful ministry among them, how they put their faith into action, remember that, their labor of love, enduring under the extreme stress of persecution, how they became imitators of Paul and Jesus and in turn became examples to all the believers. I loved this part. They became examples to all the believers in the region, but then their message and their influence went out into the whole world and everybody was talking about how these Christians, these baby Christians, had turned from false idols into the true living God and are now following the Lord, the true, the only true and living God and looking for the soon return of his son, Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, don't listen to these people. You know, was there fruit of our ministry? You know there was and you know that there is and you need to remember that when they come with their lies about us. So faithful spiritual leaders will preach the truth 
no matter what, but they'll preach the truth in the face of criticism. Here's the second thing. They'll preach the truth in spite of opposition. In spite of opposition, verse two of 1 Thessalonians 2. You know how badly we have been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly, and here it is, in spite of great opposition. Now this takes us all the way back to Acts 16 that we worked on last week, remember? This is the second journey of Paul, missionary journey of Paul. Remember they were coming through Asia and they were like taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and the Holy Spirit was saying, not here, not here. They go to Troas, which is the port city um, there on the north of the Mediterranean Sea and they're waiting and he gets a vision from God from this Macedonian person who's over there, this man who's saying, come and help us. So they take a boat, they go across the water and the first place that they minister to is in a town called Philippi where we get the book Philippians. He was writing to the believers, the new believers at Philippi. So that was the, their first stop. And uh, a lot of things happened there in their ministry, but they came upon a young slave girl on their, as they were ministering there in Philippi who had a demon, and the scripture tells us that she had a demon of divination in her, which means that Somehow the demon gave her an, some ability or at least a way to deceive people into thinking that, he, that she was telling them their future. And she was a slave girl and their masters, as you can imagine, were making a lot of money on her predicting people's futures for them. Well, Paul cast the demon out of her. He thinks he's doing a good thing, right? Wouldn't that be a good thing? This girl's got a demon and he cast it. Well, he cast the demon out of this girl. And her owners completely lost their minds and flipped out. And they dragged Paul and Silas before the local magistrates. I don't know how Timothy got out of this, but he did. Uh, But they stripped them naked in the town square, beat them with rods, and then they threw them into prison with their feet chained. So, you Bible scholars who know your New Testament, do you remember what Paul and Silas were doing at midnight, locked in the shackles in the prison dungeon? Remember what they were doing? They were praying and singing. And all the other prisoners were listening to them. And look at I have that on the screen with you, Acts 16, 26. And suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors... Okay, can I just have to stop. I just have to stop. Do you believe that this is true? Yes. And so when it's telling us a story like this, did it really happen... Come on, did it really happen? Did it really happen online, those of you who are at home? The answer is yes, it did. It's not a fable. It's not just some cool story somebody decided to make up. This really happened, okay? Here's what also you need to understand. Paul and Silas are where? In prison prison after being what? Beaten with rods naked in the town square. Anybody want to testify to what that feels like or what, because you've had to go through that before? Let me just, can I just say this really happens? It's happening today. And this really happened to them, and they're singing. You know why? Because their hope is not in the comforts of this world, their hope is in heaven. They have an eternal perspective that gets them through that hard thing that they're in the middle of. But they're in prison. They're bleeding. They were just naked in front of the whole town. And they're singing and praying. And when God's people do what God wants them to do, powerful things happen. Now, suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken At once, all the prison doors flew open. This really happened, you guys. Get excited. And everyone's chains came loose. The jailer wakes up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he threw his sword, he drew his sword, and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped, which if you let prisoners escape, they're gonna kill you for letting that happen. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. That's weird. (laughs) I would have just been up and out. As soon as the chains fell off, the doors flew open, I go... God just provided. Let's get out of here. And they didn't. Why? It's coming. He says, we're not, we're all here. Don't harm yourself. 
And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling for Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's the reason. They're using the miracle of God in their life, not for them, but as a platform to preach the gospel. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And it happened, which was the very message that they were thrown into prison for preaching. Okay, now get this. Get back to Thessalonians now. He didn't say to the Thessalonian believers, because we ran into a life-threatening conflict, we decided to soften our message and change our tactics. You get it? No. On the contrary, he's saying, because we were hit so hard, we came to you boldly with the very same message they threw us in jail for preaching in Philippi, figuring they're gonna probably run us out of town here in Thessalonica. Guys, when we got hit hard, we didn't quit. My friends, that's what a faithful, healthy leader does. They boldly preach no matter what, no matter the conflict, no matter the pressure, no matter the pain, no matter the ridicule, no matter how uncomfortable, the preacher's job is to expose sin and to bring the symptoms of sin into light. The preacher's job is to confront, to confront the hopeless fatality of the human condition, call it out for what it is, and then offer the cure for the wickedness of the hearts of men. We confront sin and we preach judgment. That's what preachers do. We preach Christ crucified and we call people to repentance. And Paul is saying, we boldly proclaimed the truth in spite of the opposition. But our boldness, you need to hear me now. Just like Paul and Silas and Timothy, our boldness doesn't come in our ability to successfully navigate our feelings about our circumstances. They were real men, just like you and I. They really went through all of this. They really experienced the discomfort, the shame, the pain. They really realized they could quit if they want, and they could have run for the hills and said, forget this, it's too much. God's, called, God's asking too much of me. So it's not in their ability to navigate all of that on their own, believe me. I'll just tell you this, if it weren't for the strength, courage, and boldness given to me from the Holy Spirit, I'd quit. And I don't mean that because I don't like you. I don't mean that because things are going really badly right now. They're actually, things are going really well right now. It's just too hard. It's just too much. It's too much. If I'm trying to do it in my own strength, in my own ability, I can't do it. I have to do it in the boldness and courage that comes, the strength that comes, and favor that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. I have to walk in that. Amen. The boldness comes from the Lord who strengthens us for the tasks. All right, let's move on. Faithful spiritual leaders will preach the truth in the face of criticism in spite of opposition. And now this in verse 3, in opposition to the culture. <clears throat> verse 3. You can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. Now, if you're like me, you're going, why is he bringing this up? Here's why. It takes some cultural background to understand why he is saying this. In their culture, and this is a fascinating study, if some of you like to dig into, into historical facts about the scriptures and about the towns and, and what was going on in Thessalonica, is in their culture, they were accustomed to these mystics these um, quote unquote holy people, or they, they would, we would, we would call them, Paul would call them charlatans, who came to town, would get on the street corners, in the town squares, they would show up at the places of worship and they would proclaim strange, new, outlandish philosophies and religious thought. But they did it, okay, get this now, they, their motive was to win the favor of a group of people and, and declare a sect of people to follow them, to give them their money, and so that they could make a name for themselves in the world. You got it? 
That's what the Thessalonian believers were used to in their culture. Paul wanted them to know, we aren't those guys, and you know it. You experienced who we were. Look at verse four. We speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. And here it is. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. They were used to people trying to please people, which is the next thing that a faithful, healthy spiritual leader will do. He will preach the truth even when it's not popular. And this is actually the essence of stewardship. A faithful steward of the truth, he'll, he'll do this. He'll take the word of God and he'll say, here it is, truth before popularity. I can't make this easy. It's hard. I can't make it popular because sometimes it's offensive. I won't make this glitzy and palatable, it is what it is. And being a steward of the truth is, this isn't mine, these aren't my words, this isn't my will that I'm saying to you, this is the will of our Father in heaven for you. And this truth is from God, entrusted to me to speak boldly into you. It might not make you happy, and it might not make me popular in your eyes. It might sting as it comes out and is proclaimed. But that's the way it is. I'm not doing this to please you, Paul said. I'm doing it to please God. And you need to understand that preachers are unapologetically standing on and preaching the inspired, authoritative word of God, or at least that's what we're supposed to be doing. All of it, the whole counsel of God, not just the soft parts. You know you could just skip around and just preach the soft parts. That's not what we're called to do. <laughs> we don't try to fix it. We don't try to water it down or mix it in some sweet potion so it's easier to swallow. Okay? You, you following along with me so far? Okay, I'm a little nervous right now. You're very quiet, just staring at me. <laughs> what Paul is saying is no matter what, our motivation, what's our motivation? Is it money? No, it's not. Is it fame? No, it is not. That's what was popu popular in their culture. That's what people were doing. But Paul makes it clear in verse five, never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know, and God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Verse four, our purpose is to please God, which is a sneak peek to what he's going to write in the future in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, where he declares we make it our goal to please God, whether at home, in our bodies, or away from them. And he's gonna write in Colossians 3, 23, whatever we do, we work at it with all our hearts. Here it is, as though we were working for the Lord and not for men. Amen. Faithful spiritual leaders preach the truth no matter what. And here I'm gonna wrap it up with this. Um, faithful spiritual leaders preach the truth, or I'm sorry, care for the family. Truth number two, care for the family like a loving parent. Okay, so we just came off of the big truth part. Okay, it's easy for me to be a truther. This part's more, more challenging for me. And this is what I always ask the Lord to grow me in um, because a faithful spiritual leader will care for the family like a nurturing mother. They are nurturing like a mother. Look at verse seven. We were gentle among you. So he's talking about boldness. He's talking about we came to you with boldness and we taught you what, from the word unapologetically and then he moves to this. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Is there a better, more beautiful picture of, care, of the caregiver than this? A mother with her brand newborn 
nursing that child and caring for that child. This is how we came to you. This was the gentleness that we had with you as newborn babies in your faith. But here's the deal. It's not, don't get all hung up in the feeding part of this because it's not as much about the feeding and the nourishment that a mother gives at her breast. It's more about, which Paul's talking about, the gentle, loving care of a sincere, deep, unconditional, patient, long-suffering, and everlasting love. Look at it. He goes on to say, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. We loved you so much. I read earlier out of the ESV and some of your Bibles that say we were affectionately desirous of you. Now, we don't talk like that today, okay? It's more like we love you so much. I, can't, I have not, wait, I couldn't wait all week to tell you this part right here. There's this, a Greek word. Now, I don't normally get into the Greek with you and all that kind of thing, but there is a Greek word that is used only here in the Bible describing the kind of love, the gentle love that they had for these people. It's the only time it's, it's used here. It's called homeromai is the word. It means we ache with love for you. It means we long for you. Actually, and this is very tender, you will find this word, homeromai, the only place it's used in the Bible. You will find this word engraved on the tombstones of children the parents have had to bury. And what they write it on there to say this, Our hearts long for you. And we will have, though you're separated from us now, we will have an everlasting love for you. And we will long for you until the day we see you again. That's the word that Paul uses here. It literally means you will be loved forever. This is the message of love that they had for these believers. Now listen, okay? Guys, some of you may have checked out at that point right there. This is not a verse written to women about nursing their babies. This is a verse written to men who are leading their families, leading the church of God, leading the, the community they live in, leading the nation. He's talking about something that's inherent and natural to women and calling upon spiritual leaders to esteem it to aspire to it, and to model it. Now, we all, guys, listen, I know, we all want to aspire to our masculine nature. And this, oh, I just, I'm not going to a place where, like, you gotta get in touch with your feminine side. That's not what I'm talking about here. But what we're talking about, because I'm not, that, that's not, that's, that's psychobabble stuff. I'm talking about men. I mean, real men. Real kingdom warriors who can love well and gently care for the needs of those that God has placed underneath them. And that's not a feminine thing. Actually, it's very hard for men to do that. More masculine to be part of that than to be the tough guy all the time and be proud of the fact that you're slamming people everywhere you go. Just deal with it, that's the way I am. No, Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not what a faithful, healthy leader does. They will be gentle with those underneath their care. It's the picture of spiritual leaders caring for their people, being concerned about their well-being, being sensitive to their personal needs. It implies an acceptance of and a respect for everyone, as broken as we all are. It implies compassion and tolerance for the imperfections of each other. It implies patience and loyalty. We weren't abusive to you, Paul says. We weren't domineering over you. We were gentle and nurturing like a mother to her children. And finally this, they were encouraging like a father. Look at verse 11. 
You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And here it is. Shaming them, belittling them, knocking them around to toughen them up so that they can live the lives worthy that God has called them to. Nope. You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, and here it is, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Listen, listen, listen to me, fathers. Fathers don't exasperate their children. Faithful, healthy fathers do not exasperate their children. And they aren't absent, and they aren't aloof to the needs of their children. It's not a feminine thing to be sensitive to and alert to the needs of each of your children. We are commanded to raise up our children, not to anger them in the way that we treat them, in the way that we discipline them, in the way that we raise them, but to nurture them, to raise them up in the Nurture and admonition of the Lord and the discipline and the teachings of the Lord. That's what we're called to, to do, men. And I know I flipped off of the pastor thing onto the father thing, but that's what Paul says. He says, this is how we treated you. We treated you, and it's important that we know how you treat, how fathers, how do you treat your kids? It's with encouragement and comfort and urging them to live the way God wants them to live according to their calling. I read this this week. Stewardship demands that truth not be diluted. Gentleness demands that truth be administered with great care. This is what a faithful, healthy, spiritual leader looks like. God help us all. God help me. So can I close the service this way? Haven't thought this through yet, so bear with me. But um, can I just have all the men stand in the room? All the men stand? If you're at home with us and you're a man, stand. If ever there was a time that our nation, let me start this way. If ever there was a time that our community and our nation, our world, the church of Jesus Christ and our homes need faithful, healthy, spiritual leaders. It's today. Amen. There's a reason why I had my grandsons walk across the stage earlier. Because it is my responsibility. And James, where are you? James, it's your responsibility. to raise those boys in the discipline and teaching of the Lord and not in a way that angers them, not in a way that exasperates, exasperates them, but a way that encourages them and comforts them and urges them on to the calling that God has on their life. They're only like four and five years old, but there is a calling on their life before they were even born. Actually, before the world began, God had his eye on them and has a plan for them and put them into godly homes and a godly church with spiritual leaders all around them that are going to live, are we gonna live examples before them? Oh, guys, are we or aren't we? Okay. 
Let's get a little excited about it. We have a big responsibility. And I know it's solemn to live as faithful, healthy leaders. It wouldn't be fair. I, I love saying that. It wouldn't be fair for me to just get up here and talk about preachers' responsibility. Now, all this is a huge responsibility for pastors. But he's not just talking to pastors. He's talking about spiritual leaders. Leading God's flock. We can't do it by ourselves. We need help. We can't do it without the leading of the Holy Spirit, the power and strength of the Holy Spirit of God. And so I'm gonna pray over you right now. And ladies, just reach up and lay your hands on these men that are standing here and pray with me as we pray over them right now. Father, I just pray that you'll strengthen us. Your, your witness to all these men that you have called and you have equipped to lead and to lead well and to lead their families and to lead their businesses and to lead this community and to lead this church in paths of righteousness that they will live examples. Every man here will, will, will fix whatever is broken right now. They'll confess whatever sin that they're harboring, whatever stuff they're dabbling in, they'll, con they'll, they'll confess that and they'll renounce that and they'll turn from that to live the godly way you've called them to live so that everyone else, our wives, our children, the family of God, our community and our world will have examples, godly examples to follow and pattern their lives after. But Lord, help us. I'm asking for me, I'm asking that you'll help me to grow in humility and to grow in gentleness and to grow in concern and to grow like you, Lord Jesus, to be full of grace and truth. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ladies, stand with your men. Give them a big hug on your way out. God bless you as you go. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit, guys, trembling all the way home. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us for this morning's online service. Our hope is that it ministered to your heart deeply, and we pray that it inspires you to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, or you'd like prayer in your life, we'd invite you to fill out an online connection card by clicking on the link. If you haven't downloaded our church app yet, now's a great time. It has tons of resources and opportunities that you can take advantage of. Finally, you can check out our website, fbclcart.org, to stay connected with us. We hope you have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you right back here next week, same time.